Welcome to the Routing Table Podcast. My name is Melchior and I'm here with my co-host Rick. Hi Rick. Hey Melchior. Today's guests are Ron Bonica and Greg Hankins. Welcome Ron, Greg. Hi. Hello, thank you. Today's topic of discussion is around TCP authentication option. What is it? Why do we need it? And it's finally there. But before we dive into that, Ron and Greg, could you please introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what is it you do? Sure. My name is Greg Hankins. I'm a senior product manager at Nokia. I work on the routing product line and I manage all sorts of uh, features in routing and network management. And uh, I'm also a frequent attendee at operator conferences. So uh, you have probably seen me at Nanog or Ripe or Apricot or some of the smaller events. <laughs> yeah, you, you're everywhere. <laughs> Sometimes, yes. Not so much in these days, but um, yes. Perfect. And um, well, folk, uh, welcome, uh, Greg. Um, Ron, could you also introduce yourself? My name is Ron Bonica. I'm a distinguished engineer at Juniper Networks, and I'm in the routing protocol group. For many years before I joined Juniper, I was a network operator. So my job at Juniper is to develop protocols, but think like a network operator. And uh, what you'll see today is one of the one of the very first things I did when I joined Juniper about 16 years ago. Uh, still, still pretty close to the operations world. And uh, I'm also a frequent contributor at IETF, Nanog. Uh, lurking around many other places. <laughs> Welcome, Ron. So um, you said you're 16 years with Juniper, and um, six years into Juniper, you wrote a an, an RFC, which is uh, called the TCP authentication option. Could you tell us why uh, you came with that idea and why you wrote the RFC? Okay. At the time, we had a customer who was worried about blind insertion attacks against BGP sessions. Now, let's talk about what a blind insertion attack is. Um, let's say we have two routers, A and B, and they have a long-lived BGP session. It might be up for many, many weeks, and it may have exchanged many, many routes over many, many hours. Now, A and B have an enemy, C. And C would very much like to tear down that BGP session, if only for a few seconds. So C sends a few packets per second to B for many, many hours. This is a trickle of packets, not enough that C is going to, uh, that B is going to detect it. Well, these packets um, have a source address of router A. It's a spoofed source address. It's making believe it's the legitimate BGP peer. The payload is TCP. And in that TCP header, um, the reset bit is set. Uh, the source and destination of ports are appropriate for BGP, 179. And the sequence numbers are chosen at random. Now, B will discard most of those packets because the sequence numbers will be outside of the valid window. But sooner or later, C is going to send a packet with a valid sequence number. When that happens, B accepts the packet it sees the reset bit, and it starts to reset the BGP session. The BGP session comes down. All those routes get withdrawn. It's uh, something that's noticeable to the, to the customers of that, that network. And bad things happen. To make things even worse, um, 
B and uh, A and B, the two legitimate BGP peers, look at their logs and immediately point fingers at one another um, regarding who caused the outage. Um, when in fact, it takes a while for them to realize it was C that did it. You're specifically talking BGP now, but TCP AL um, doesn't only protect BGP sessions, right? It's it's one layer below, so it can basically be used for every long-lived TCP session, right? Absolutely, it can be used for any long-lived TCP session. Uh, the only reason I bring up BGP is that was the original motivation back when a customer came to us with this, and I think the first customer request was in 2004, 2005, something like that. But we already have MD5. Yes, we do. We for already that. have. <laughs> so why we, do we need AO? Okay, <clears throat> there are a couple of reasons. Um, MD5 is yet another TCP option. And what it does is calculates a MAC over um, a packet's payload and a pre-shared key. Well, there are two problems with MD5. One is that it's very difficult to, sh to switch the keys. Um, generally, if you change the keys on, e on both sides, you have to reset the BGP session or you have to reset the TCP session. Well, for some applications, resetting the TCP session is no big deal. For BGP, resetting a BGP session is a big deal and you don't want to do it um, if you don't have to. So what people who ran MD5 would do is they'd set it up and they'd leave the key the same forever. You know, employees would come and go. Uh, attackers would have decades to uh, to guess the key, and sooner or later they uh, you know uh, we don't know of any cases that they actually did, but it was pretty vulnerable. The other vulnerability is MD5 itself. Um, there have been two two groups of people um, researching authentication uh, uh, algorithms, good guys and bad guys. Bad guys have gotten better and better at breaking uh, authentication algorithms, and MD5 was pretty one of the first to be broken back in the you know, 2000 aughts. Um, for that reason, the IETF recommends that MD5 not be used to protect any routing uh, protocol at all now. Um, the other thing is, you need key agility. Um, an authentication algorithm that is considered strong today won't be considered strong tomorrow because both good guys and bad guys will be doing research around authentication algorithms. And, um, you know, authentication algorithm foo may be wonderful today, but in a week it may be yesterday's news. So MD5 didn't give you any, uh, any agility. So, you know, it, it had to be replaced. A great question for you, as, as you might be a little bit more, look at it from a little bit more uh, distance. With your experience in the operator community, it sounds like we should all replace MD5, do not use it anymore, and, and use TCPAO. Why haven't we seen TCPAO used in the field yet? Well, I think that's that's a great idea, and I think there are a number of reasons if you look at what's going on in the operator community, there has been a general trend recently to focus on BGP security and routing security in general. 
Um, you know, if we look at uh, RPKI, for example, uh, that technology has been around for many, many years, and we're just now starting to really see large-scale and mass deployments uh, and see the ecosystem come together. So uh, I think for for uh, TCPIO with BGP, I think it's a similar situation where uh, the technology has been around for some time. Um, I don't think everyone knows about it, so I'm very pleased that we're doing this podcast to uh, to drive awareness and evangelize the technology. And uh, I think also that um, people just aren't aware of all the security options that are available to secure and protect their BGP sessions. So, you know, we're talking about TCP AO in this case, but uh, really we would recommend a combination of different security mechanisms to protect that session, and, and AO is just one of them. Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, having one security mechanism isn't a security mechanism, right? You always need... Uh, exactly. security on different layers whether it's in the OC model or different places in, in the network um, Ron could you uh, you already mentioned that within AO you have the option to do a key rotation without uh, session breaking um, but could you uh, take us a little bit further into the concept okay before um, I answer that question I'd like to add to the, uh, the response to the last one sure go ahead one of, one of the impediments to uh, deployment for TCPAO. Well, one of them has been lack of implementations, um, but that's been solved uh, in the last year or so. Another is lack of tools surrounding it. Uh, right now, there are three router vendors who uh, implement TCPAO, but tools like Wireshark, um, TCP Dump, just aren't there. I know of one group of um, undergraduates now who are starting to work on that and. Um, Make con- you know they intend to make contributions to to Wireshark, uh, Wireshark, and uh, uh, TCP dump. So you'll see those tools starting to appear in the next year or so. But in any event, let's return to your uh, original question, which was about key rotation. How does it work? Um, in TCPAO, you have two in- uh, two interesting data structures. Uh, the first interesting data structure is called a master key tuple. And a master key tumble, tuple, um, you have one or more of them configured on each node. So let's say for a minute you have the last key that was used, the current key, and the next key. On each node, you'd have three master key tu- tuples. Each master key tuple has a bunch of data items in them. But For each master key tuple, you will derive four traffic keys. Those traffic keys are the keys that will be used to authenticate traffic. Now, let's talk a little bit about what is in a master key tuple. Um, I'm not going to touch everything that's in it, but just the the important points. Um, One is something that identifies the TCP connection that you're protecting. So it's going to be source address, destination address, source port, destination port, and wildcards are allowed. Um, the next thing you're going to have is an authentication algorithm, you know, SHA-1, SHA-256, AES, you know, whatever. Um, the next thing you're going to have is a derivation algorithm, you know, how is the key derived? And you're going to have some keying material, a key. Now, those are the things that are officially in the MKT. 
Now, the question is, which MKT? Um, oh, the other thing you're going to have in the MKT is uh, a send identifier and a receive identifier. Those are very important because they're going to be sent in uh, the TCP option so that the receiving node will know which key to authenticate with. Well, you have to have some way to point at which master key tuple is the active one. And the RFC doesn't specify that. It says somehow you have to say which one is active. And you can do that with you know, a network management system that touches both endpoints. You can do it with coordinated configuration. Well, as it turns out, most router vendors do it with um, time windows. Um, this key becomes active at this time, and it becomes inactive at the next time. So you can roll over keys based on time. And it turns out that you don't need synchronized clocks here because um, it's only the sending key that um, on the sending side, you have to decide which one is active. On the receiving side, if you receive a packet, um, you will look at the key ID in the TCP option, and that will tell you which of your keys to use to authenticate the packet. So in reality, we roll over based on time, but according to the spec, you can roll over based on any number of things, you know, number of packets sent, um, phase of the moon, who knows, uh, pick your favorite criteria for rolling over keys. The nice thing about this is you can roll over keys without resetting the BGP, well, without resetting the TCP session. And that's, that's the big goal of TCP AO, change keys without resetting the session. So if I take a step back and uh, look at why TCP AO is relevant, is it, is it that key rollover that is critical here uh, that is missing, of course, in, in current authentication methods? Because... Otherwise, we would have just used a different hashing algorithm and we would be done, right? Um, well, is that key rollover thing, uh, let's say, the biggest benefit of TCPIO, or is there more to it? There are two pieces. The biggest piece is key rollover. You want to be able to roll over the key anytime maybe you have a personnel change, anytime you think maybe keys have been compromised, and you want to be able to do this you know, fast, you know, not during a maintenance window. Um, the other big benefit is authentication algorithm agility. Um, you want to be able to move from one authentication algorithm to another without installing new software. Now, yes, you know, if it's a totally new and uh, authentication algorithm, you're going to have to get the code that supports the authentication algorithm installed. But you don't want to be able to. You don't want to have to change your TCP software to do that. Right. Right. So, how does the uh, the key roll over, uh, or at least how do I communicate my other keys to the other party? Should I send a fax with like fifty different keys, and then we uh, roll over on times, or is there like something more intelligent? But we also use like in things like IPsec uh, to uh, generate new keys. Okay. The spec doesn't. Um doesn't address that at all. You know, somehow you have to communicate keying material with the other side in a secure manner. Um, maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's some kind of authenticated um, communication. You know, you want to make sure that when you're having a conversation and exchanging key 
uh, keying information, A, that you know who you're talking to, that you're not talking to the attacker, and B, um, that no one else is listening. So you want both authentication and encryption on that communication. Uh, so if I look at implementations or applications of, of uh, let's say, BGP transport security, um, I would say that in the past year, 10 years or so, more and more uh, peering on the internet has gone over point-to-point links. Um, so is this just relevant on, let's say, exchanges where you really share a subnet with everyone? Or is there also a use case for, like I said, point-to-point links? Okay. Um, well, another way to ask this question is, why do we need this considering the fact we have GTSM? And right. to, answer, to answer the question, first we have to explain what GTSM is. Um, GTSM protects EBGP sessions, and it does so by setting the, you know, on, on transmit, it sets the IP TTL to high value 255. And on receive, if the TTL is too low, you know that the packet did not come from a directly connected neighbor. So you drop the packet. It's, it's from someone spoofing. Um, there are a couple of reasons you might want um, TCPAO in addition to GTSM. Um, one possibility is that you have multiple neighbors on a single link. For, um, this is fre- frequently the case in an IXP, uh, an internet exchange. Um, another possibility is that you're protecting an IBGP session and what you're protecting against is some malware that got inside of your network domain. Um, maybe you have some net malware in the uh, network management system. So the attacker is on the inside and not on the outside. Uh, in that case, you, you, know, you need something. And in this case, GTSM is not going to help you. Right, so we know exactly sure that that we're, the thing is you want to know for sure that the, the guy you're talking to on the other side is exactly who, is he, who he says he is. Mm-hmm. So um, what about just implementing like very strict filtering? I know we uh, discussed RPKI on this podcast. Uh, there's many ways to filter. If I just filter very, very strictly on stuff that I want for my neighbor. Okay, this goes to security model. There are um, basically two models of security. One I like to call the Tootsie Roll uh, security model. It's hard and crunchy on the outside and soft and chewy on the inside. And that can be implemented well with ACLs. Uh, you have a bunch of ACLs at the edge of your network to make sure nothing bad ever gets inside. And um, you know that way you're pretty sure that GTSM will protect your EBGP sessions and your IBGP sessions do not need protection nor does anything else on the inside of your network because those ACLs are the one and only layer of defense. Well, the Tootsie Roll model is pretty effective. I'm I'm not going to say that there's anything wrong with it, but it's your one and only line of defense. If there are any holes in in those fortress walls around your network, you're totally vulnerable. you know, if one ACLE is left out or if somebody brings in malware, um, say, on their PC or something like that, and that gets inside the network boundary, you have no defense whatsoever. So the alternative to this Tootsie Roll model of network security is a multi-layer model. Yes, you have the ACLEs around um, 
around the edge of your network, but they're not your only defense for the network. Um, you have other things like cryptographic authentication going on inside the network. So if somebody gets around those ACLs or gets malware inside by you know, having some employee bring it in accidentally, you've, you've got some defenses. Greg, um, we quickly touched on, on the implementation status as well. So as Ron mentioned, there's now currently three vendors who have implemented the code. Um, uh, so Juniper, Cisco, and uh, Nokia. Yes, that's What right. was, and uh, if I'm correct, um, you have the code in uh, since uh, 20.5 R1. Yes. What was the reason now for... Um, uh, for for doing the work, for building the code? Uh, well, it's really um, just how we prioritize and develop features. Um, we look at the market demand, both from customers and strategically. And uh, this was a feature that we, we did get a couple customer requests for, but also, you know, just like we were talking about, looking at the general BGP security feature set, or in this case, TCP um, security feature set, this was an important mechanism that we thought should be implemented. And, um, you know, also kind of going back to how software is developed and deployed, um, you know, the implementations have to be ready uh, before they can be deployed, obviously. So, uh, and that can take years in some cases. You know, large customers may um, have a, a one to two year software upgrade cycle. So uh, for a feature to be ready to be deployed by operators, the implementations have to be there well in advance of that deployment date or that deployment goal. So I think all of the vendors and implementations are trying to stay ahead of the game as much as possible to try to get the implementations and the tools and the ecosystem ready in advance of the demand. So we're always trying to try to uh, you know predict the future a little bit and try to anticipate what features will be popular in two years from now or you know a number of years from now as we sort of discussed because the listeners don't notice but you and i and, and ron have been having some discussions on tcpao outside of the, the scope of this podcast as well there will be some noise right so uh, as as i know that you want to drive this as well and, and want to uh, share the knowledge. Um, what are some of the initiatives? Well, I think there's a number of things going on. Um, we, you know, we performed the interop test. I think we should mention that in this podcast. Uh, we did a successful test with the Juniper and Nokia uh, just over the internet. It was very easy uh, today with virtual machines and internet routing. It's, it's really possible to do all sorts of interrupt testing uh, in these t in this pandemic time and uh, with all the distributed development around the world. Uh, we don't need to get together in a lab anymore. It's really convenient uh, and very fast. So I think that was a, a really successful test and um, we really didn't have uh, technical difficulties. I think the tests, once we got our implementations uh, connected, was uh, very successful. And you know we we've documented. Um, I don't know if we have the the possibility to add links or something, but I think we should talk about the the repository that we have on GitHub. Yeah, definitely. We can add. Uh, we will add the link in the in the comments. Yeah. So one uh, one initiative is just to to uh, educate and document configuration and interoperability examples. So that's uh, one thing we've done on GitHub. The other is to start evangelizing the technology. So. We've talked about uh, 
operator conference presentations and things like that. So I know that uh, you're working on one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I didn't want to promote per se my own talk, but that's uh, okay. Uh, no, I can but, uh, I can promote it for you. <laughs> no, but uh, I, one step back, what you were saying, the IO test. What I think is really interesting, something that um, we're trying to build is a lab where people who are interested in seeing how AO works between different vendors. And so we're building a, a virtual lab. Um, I think that that is something which is really cool. As what you said, it's really easy to set that up with all the virtual appliances available. It is, yeah. And um, yes, we will post the, the link uh, to GitHub, which is uh, github.com slash tcp-ao, um, where you can find the results of the um, uh, interoperability test and some uh, of the configuration examples. Let's f focus a little bit more on, on GTSM because that is what, what we've heard so far the most uh, heard argument against uh, a changing uh, from MD5 to TCP AO as uh, GTSM solves the same issue. That's at least what, what we've heard. And what I think is, is interesting to mention, uh, maybe Ron, you want to dive a little bit deeper into that, is the difference between why SSH and TLS are maybe not good enough um, to replace uh, MD5. Okay. Well, first let's talk about SSH and TLS. Um, I don't believe either of those protect the TCP header, which means the blind reset, uh, they wouldn't protect against the blind reset attack. Um, now let's return to um, GTSM for a while. What GTSM is going to do is filter BGP packets that have a TTL that is too low. That is a, an eBGP packet that came from too many hops away. Well, that works well in conjunction with a filter. Um, you know, let's say for a, a minute that a router has a thousand neighbors, and uh, on one of those neighbors is a legitimate BGP peer. Well, you could get a blind reset attack from any of those neighbors, even if GTSM is enabled. So what you need to do is have an ACL to make sure that um, a, a packet intended for that BGP session can only come from the link where the legitimate peer is. Um, you know, GTS, GTSM will provide good enough protection if you have both the ACL and GTSM enabled. Uh, it also assumes that you never have two peers on the same link. If you have two peers on the same link, GTSM won't help you from, uh, won't protect you from attack. And um, if you don't have the ACLs correct, GTSM won't help you. Um, another issue is GTSM will not protect um, your IBGP sessions. Um, if you have an attacker inside of your network perimeter, you know somebody's gotten, you know, malware in on some employee's uh, laptop. GTSM is not going to protect you because on an eBGP session, uh, when a, uh, no, I'm sorry, on an IBGP session, when a packet arrives at the destination, Lord only knows what the TTL is going to be. So maybe Ron, uh, on the. Uh on the keys that are now used in, in TCP AO, um, mm. why 
would it wasn't why was it chosen to use keys again rather than maybe certificates which are successful in TLS deployments and have a trust anchor and a validity and uh, some timing and other things that maybe keys it don't was, have it was a matter of uh, complexity uh, at the time we just thought it was easier for two parties to share to share a key than to use certificates so operator flexibility or <laughs> yeah, easy yeah, to implement yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Makes sense. There is one thing I'd like to add. There is a pre-standards version of TCPAO. Um, it was called Draft Bonica something or other. And it tried to do something like TCPAO, but it didn't have a distinction between uh, an MKT and a traffic key. Um, if any operators are running that, they probably should upgrade to TCPAO because you know what they're running is non-standard. Um, you know, Lord knows um, what option identifier it's using. So if you're using that pre-standard version, please please upgrade to TCPAO. <laughs> That's a good call out. So other than BGP, and maybe this is a question for, for both of you, what other TCP-based protocols can we uh, use TCPAO for? Well, I think one, uh, one obvious one is LDP. Um, LDP... The the TCP uh, stateful and, and uh, things like behave very much like BGP, and that you configure a session and uh, it maintains state, and they're also long lived. So I think that's the next obvious one. As I recall, the people who were asking for TCPAO first were the AS authentication people, and you know, they had some long lived TCP sessions. Yeah, the, the, so the, the strange thing was obviously with... Uh, you're referring to RPKI RTR, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the strange thing with that is, and it still surprises me, is that at one point we all decided we won't want, we don't want to use uh, Telnet anymore to control plane because that was unsecure. So we switched all to SSH. But now we're doing uh, RPKI RTR unprotected and everyone is fine with that, but we're making the most critical decisions, our routing decisions based on information we receive via a unprotected protocol. And so, yeah, so th there's there's big ask for security in uh, RPKI RTR and that's also defined in the RFC. Uh, there it basically offers options, so SSH, TLS and AO, but from what we just heard from you uh, with regards to the TCP header attacks, um, TCP AO is basically the only viable option. I think so. If we look at TCP AO, I think we, we see that it's it's a very successful uh, solution for, for this problem. And we're now finally starting to see some uh, implementations, both in vendors. And now uh, we're going to start this, let's say, uh, bandwagon of... Uh, getting people on board with it. So things that I'm hearing more is, is BGP over quick. Right? What's dropping TCP as a transport protocol and just use HTTP uh, to transport BGP over? Is, is that something that you guys have heard customers about? Uh, no, I have not personally heard that from anyone. Me neither. Me neither. Well, it's just with, with more ideas in ITF. The idea is nice. It could, in theory, work. Um, but yeah, if in the end no one asks for it, then it stays as a nice idea, right? Yeah, well, the other thing to consider is is BGP has quite a large installed base. 
And uh, I, I think that's another reason why some technology adoption is delayed and, and lags, but uh, it's a big undertaking for an operator to deploy a new technology. So uh, you know, they, they have to invest time and effort, and uh, it's not a decision that, that people make lightly. No, true, and especially if it's uh, between multiple uh, ASNs or yes, exactly, uh, uh, multiple companies or multiple regions, um, it, it it's very well. Th- th- this is a let's say becomes a broader discussion um, that it's very hard to replace BGP in general, right? I mean, uh, uh, that's the reason why you put so many bandages around BGP in general. My guess would be the next best, th- the next big thing is going to be widespread uh, deployment of BGP uh, origin authentication. You know, it may not be the BGPSEC panacea, but it solves a good chunk of the problems that we actually see. And that's, you know, accidental uh, advertisement of prefixes that you shouldn't be advertising. Yeah, or intentional. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely, yeah. Um, And and that's also, uh, when I speak with operators about origin validation that no it doesn't solve every problem especially the um, uh, as path validation uh, 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 isn't solved by that but there's work obviously uh, around that as well Um, but i mean wearing your seatbelt in your car doesn't prevent you from having an accident it just limits the impact of the accident and i think that is the same with every security mechanism um, uh, that is already there and that is coming in in BGP. It doesn't solve every problem, but as long as it solves another additional piece of the problem, we get closer to a more secure and more stable internet in general. Um, and I think that TCPAO fits in that uh, uh, broader story as well, right? And and that's why it goes hand in hand with um, uh, GSMA, for example, as well. Uh, sorry, GTSM. It's not one or the other. It's it's uh, complementary to each other. Yeah, and it goes together with Ron had mentioned ACLs and uh, your control plane protection and all the other things that you configure, all the other security features that you configure in, in a network. Yeah. Right. I think we got quite a nice understanding of what TCP AO is, why we need it, uh, how it works, and uh, what's coming. Um, Any final words, Ron, from your side? Well, thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to seeing uh, some widespread deployment of TCP AO. (laughs) Sounds good. Greg, (laughs) you want to add something? Uh, yeah, same uh, same here. Thanks for setting up this podcast. Uh, this is, you know, we mentioned we're doing several things to get out information about TCPAO. So this podcast is another one of those. And uh, I think I would just urge people to think about their security in general and look at all the mechanisms that are out there and start thinking about which ones make sense for them and and uh, and, and look at also the implementations that are available. And, uh, you know, we always say we're, we're driven, our features are driven by customers. So if you have an implementation or a tool that's part of the ecosystem that you see needs to be or needs to support TCBAO, then please work with those vendors and those developers because, uh, as we talked about, we need a strong ecosystem to support uh, 
this technology as well. So it's not just the router implementations. It's the whole thing that we have to think yeah, about. I agree. Is there like a final call, call to action that we can uh, point people to? So the interop testing is one, but uh, is there some other good resources for people to read? I think uh, I think the GitHub page, I don't know, um, is probably the only one that I know of so far, in addition to the vendor documentation. We should think about how we can create something more central, maybe. Yeah, I, I think for now, the, indeed, the, the best place is, uh, is either a website of uh, Nokia or Juniper uh, and um, uh, where you can find configuration examples really quickly is uh, definitely on the, on the GitHub page. What I think and hope is that if people have questions, uh, Ron and Greg, that, that, that they can reach out to, to you um, uh, for more information or any help if needed. Uh, I know Greg, you're easy to find on uh, on Twitter, uh, on on LinkedIn as well. Uh, Ron, sure. you're on on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, yes. Yeah, so reach out, start spreading the word, and, and as Greg said, reach out to uh, your own uh, network vendor. Ask for for this feature. And yeah, with that, I think we've come to the end of of this episode of the Routing Table podcast. Again, if there's any questions, please do reach out to the guests or to us. Um, you can find us uh, via our website, routingtable.cloud, uh, or in your favorite podcast app. Uh, thanks for listening, and um, see you next time. <laughs>